hey, this is Peter Bell. Thanks very much indeed, everybody, for showing up for this episode six of The Wrap, the podcast that ensures that you get the most out of UK and Irish horse racing. I'll be absolutely honest with you, folks, when I say that this episode, like the best night out of your life, was totally unplanned. I'd done a look at the St. Ledger, more of which in a moment, and the deal was then that I was going to take a break until the end of the month when I've got an episode planned which was looking at racing sometimes uncomfortable relationship with the imbeciles on social media. I've got what I hope will be some cracking guests that I'm going to be interviewing next week who'll give some informative insights into the hostility and abuse they receive from armchair jockeys and trainers on social media. And the plan was basically to get the ducks in a row for that and produce something for you to have a listen to towards the end of September. However, after this last weekend, how can you not have some opinions on what was a stellar weekend for our sport, both on and off the track? The strapline for the wrap is helping you to get the most out of UK and Irish horse racing, as I hope you've all come to know and appreciate by now. So on that basis alone, last weekend was a total penalty kick in terms of the excitement and interest generated for and by UK and Irish horse racing. On the track, there was a whole host of exciting Group 1 races, as well as the four days of the Kazoo St. Ledger Festival, culminating in the Ledger itself, our fifth English classic. I'm going to be having a look at that presently, but I want to start off really by getting stuck into the launch of National Racehorse Week last Sunday. Regular listeners to the podcast know just how important this event is to me. If there's one thing that should unite all of us, really, from a racing newbie to a grizzled veteran from a bookie to a stud owner to the owner of a horse to the race car, the welfare and care of the racehorse should be paramount to the lot of us. I've majored in on National Racehorse Week, which runs this week from the 12th to the 19th of September, in several podcasts that I've done already for this very reason. It was therefore with some personal excitement as well as professional interest I headed over to Richard Phillips' stable in Adelstrop in Gloucestershire last Sunday morning to see what the guy whose energy and whose vision and whose drive has given real impetus to National Racehorse Week. I wanted to see what he'd got planned for the folks who turned up at his stables going, come on then, show us how much racing cares about horses then. So for starters, there would probably have been a good 350 to 400 people there and they were drawn from the widest of demographics, old, young, blokes, women. There were some glamorous luxury brand devotees there and there were slobs like me in shorts and t-shirt. Okay, the fact it was a very sunny morning helped, but here we were, well off the beaten track in deepest rural Gloucestershire, at a yard which, in the nicest possible terms, has got no really high-profile horses, yet we all had the opportunity to get up close and personal with the horses, their trainer, stable staff and jockeys, had clearly fired the imagination of plenty of folk, and that alone would have been a success story of sorts for this initiative. National Racehorse Week didn't promise fun fairs, fireworks or fly past by the Red Arrows. Nonetheless, and I can only speak of what Richard and his staff put on, there was a real palpable sense of enjoyment and engagement. We were able to understand what care and attention went into the horses via talks from a farrier, a horse masseuse and a very interesting and insightful chat from Yogi Breisner, the jumping guru. What this guy doesn't know about getting a horse, and that's not just a racehorse, that's a eventer or a show jumper. What he doesn't know about getting a horse to jump isn't worth a lick, basically. He gave us a 30 minutes chat and then took us over into the exercise yard. 
Yogi took a young novice hurdler of Richard's, a horse called Keep It Brief, and gave it an intensive schooling with jockey Tom Bellamy on board, explaining what he was trying to get the horse to do in jumping practice jumps that he'd laid out. It was a really insightful half hour. I like to think I know a little bit about racing, otherwise I wouldn't be doing this podcast. But I was learning stuff left, right and centre that I never knew before about a horse, getting it to jump, getting it over its fear of a hot, of an obstacle, how to present the horse at a jump, what we mean by meeting when a horse goes long, when a horse goes short. This part of the session culminated with jockey Tom Bellamy being asked to, and actually executing, riding out a hurdle with his eyes closed and letting the horse jump. Yogi explained that this was entirely due to getting the horse to jump. It's the horse that jump, not the jockey. And Tom got a round of applause from all of us. I've been in touch with him on Twitter and he said it was the most scariest moment of his life, basically, jumping the hurdle blind. But he did it and it was a really entertaining and insightful half hour in the company of a master at his profession. That's probably enough of me rabbit on about how wonderful the day was. Let me hand you over to a member of Richard Stable staff that I interviewed about her experience of the day. Hannah. Faber. And your role here is? A uh, bit of everything. <laughs> bit of everything. The, the car park has been full up um, and there's been a great turnout of people and, and people who have started the conversation about you know, what, what the day-to-day looks like here, which is great. We, you know, People who are, who are interested in, in, in more than just the face of, of what goes on on a race day. And how many people do you estimate have turned up today? Oh, I'd say, I'd say a few hundred, yeah. And has there been um, similar sort of questions that have been asked or have you had any sort of left-field questions you thought, oh, I don't know the answer to that one? <laughs> well, I mean, everyone's sort of interested about, um, you know, the sort of bedding that they're on, the feed that they have, what goes on, you know, in the gallops in the mornings. Um, it's hard to have a, a straightforward answer because obviously each horse is a little bit different. But um, it's, it's good that the, the conversations have, have started. Um, but yeah, no, no really good questions about it. And have you had anybody so far that's been, you might have even suspected, been vaguely sort of anti? Because I know sort of talking with Richard, it's very easy to get people that are already involved in racing, whatever form, to come along and look at the horses. And isn't racing wonderful? Well, yes, it is. But have you had anybody that's been maybe a little bit anti, maybe a little bit sort of cynical about the whole day? Not remotely. I mean, to be fair, I would, I'd like to have the conversation. I wouldn't mind if I met someone throughout the day. I would like to, but I haven't met that person yet. Um, but I wouldn't be shy about it if I did. Um, I think actually, if anything, it's fantastic if they did come um, more than anything. But no, no, I haven't. And a final quick question. Are you going to do it again next year? Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, Richard seems to be living his best life throughout these days. So uh, yeah, he'll definitely do it again for sure. Hannah Faber there, who was in fact very far from being a bit of everything, like all of Richard's staff at this stable, they were on point, professional, well briefed, thoroughly engaging with everybody that they spoke with and really added to the impetus that the day had and the level of knowledge that certainly I was able to come away with and I hope that everyone else that attended the day was able to come away with too. Master of Ceremonies for the day and doing a thoroughly professional job as one would expect was the broadcaster John Inverdale. John has been a long-term owner and part owner with Richard. I was able to grab a few minutes with John at the end of the morning and explore a little bit more about his thoughts on how the day had gone and what his hopes were for the future, not only of National Racehorse Week, but of racing in general. There are so many elements to this that can be expanded upon, enlarged, some areas could be ditched, other things could be just brought in. I mean, I, I just think everything has to start somewhere. You know, that old great Nelson Mandela line about the, the longest journeys start with the shortest steps. 
you know, if this is a short step, it's a pretty sizable short step, I think, to begin with. And I would hope in five years' time, you know, this will be... There won't be a yard in the country that won't actually have this in the diary. You know, when the diary arrives on January the 1st, whatever it is, September the whatever, is in the diary. Because that's the day that you actually engage with as many people as is possible, not just the committed. Because anybody can preach to the converted. Anybody can say, isn't this great, when the person you're saying to already thinks it's great. But the key thing here is not just about preaching to the converted, but actually saying to people who are ambivalent, and even some of the people that you're talking about who are, again, getting them along and saying, just look at this, just look at this, and just come at it with open eyes, without prejudice, come and see and see what you think about the way that this industry operates. I think that's critical. I think there are certain percentages that you're never going to convince and, and, and you just have to go without those. But I think if you can reach people that are open-minded enough to say, I've heard the horror stories, I've, I've seen issues regarding Gordon Elliott, Bob Baffert in America, but let's see what this is all about at a grassroots level, at a raw stables level. Rating's been good enough to open itself up to us. Let's go and ask some part hard question, yep. fair questions, yep. and see what racing comes back with. And I think that's the way to, to get out of this echo chamber that we can sometimes be seen in. With regard to National Racehorse Week, and this is sort of venturing into kind of more esoteric areas, but it's great the public have come along, and that was step one in the process. Would you see, or would you like to see, engagement with politicians, hard power, and putting the case for racing to those that can, can make a real big decisive influence? I think one of the ambitions of this week which I, I don't know that it's been that successful, but I, I know one or two MPs are going to various yards around the country today. Uh, but that was one of the objectives, certainly. I, the one thing I would say about today is if this is the first step towards... Everybody's saying this, so it's just a cliche. But if, if this is the first step towards a racing, having an approach to itself in the way that cricket has opened itself up with the 100 and things like that, then this is progress with a capital P. Because I'm afraid a day at the races, much though I love it, and so it's, very, it's a very different experience at some small courses where, for financial reasons or whatever it might be, they do nothing other than have six races and then expect you to make your own entertainment between the races. That's not good enough in this day and age now. You know, you have to do more. You have to explain. You have to engage more. And that's what today is about as a one day. But actually, that's what the industry needs to do day in, day out, wherever the race meeting is, from Musselburgh to Newton Abbott and all points in between. It's about when people go racing and they find out about the horses, tell them more. You you need to have better announcers. You need to have more people telling you what's going on. Otherwise, all you end up doing is having the same people, the same caucus, going time after time after time. And in the end, those people are no longer there and you've got to replace them with somebody. Tempted to say, and on that bombshell, but thanks very much indeed for your time. That's really good of you. John and Vavel there making some oh-so-salient points, not only about National Horse Racing Week, but about horse racing in general and how it needs to get out of its echo chamber and sell itself more widely to the general public. Great though this initiative of National Horse Racing Week has been in showing the love and the care and attention that racing gives to horses, the huge elephant in the room which has to be addressed is the reinstatement of Gordon Elliott as a trainer. For those of you who don't know the story, Elliott was one of the prominent trainers in Irish racing. He trained any number of Cheltenham winners. He was a trainer going places until six months ago when he was pictured sitting on a horse that had collapsed and died on his gallops. This picture polarised racing. People thought he'd been stitched up and somebody with a vendetta was out to get him. 
Others quite understandably reacted with horror and revulsion. It didn't really matter what racing thought. It was what racing did. What racing ended up doing was banning him for six months. And this week sees Elliot training again in his own right and horses of his being entered at races in Ireland, ironically during National Racehorse Week. This has polarised racing once again. My opinion is that it's a given that horse racing folk love their horses more than anything. He could have been held up for murder and he wouldn't receive such pelters en masse from racing PLC. Nonetheless, it's also a truism that everyone deserves a second chance. Elliot is not evil. He's not Ian Brady or Fred West. He's actually come back to racing very contrite. He's lost a hell of a lot and he's basically started from scratch regarding his reputation in the racing world. Now, in racing, we are, I believe, generally warm and open-hearted people. So my view is that's the attitude we should go with now with regard to Elliot returning to training. On to happier ground now then, with a look back at what was arguably the best week's racing to date in the flat season. And let's kick off with some thoroughly undignified self-congratulatory backslapping. For those rap listeners that downloaded episode 5 when I took an in-depth look at dosage profiling and how this could give us an angle on the outcome of the St. Ledger last Saturday, then you were rewarded for your commitment. I'm prepared to admit dosage is a complex and numerically challenging theory, and it's often written off by those wedded to more traditional form study as something akin to voodoo. Well, the answer to that is beaten paths are for beaten men. Especially when, off the back of this analysis, I went on record as saying Hurricane Lane was a rock-solid favourite. Check. Ottoman Emperor would blow out. Check. And that the Mediterranean was a standout each way bet at 20 to 1. Check again, with his eventual starting price being 28 to 1. Okay, before I get too cocky about all this, I also said Mojo Star was a prime candidate to blow out too, over Saturday's 14 furlong race. But he's a horse that continually surprises me with his guts and his class. He's actually only ever won one maiden, but has come second in two classics now, and he's won over £430,000 in prize money. Where do connections go with him now? Well, keep tilting at windmills and head for the Arc de Triomphe, where you'd have to think he'd find a few that are probably too good for him. Or maybe they'll lower his sights, grab that group race that he's so clearly capable of winning and head for something like the St. Simon Stakes at Newbury, which is trainer Richard Hannon's local track. It's a nice choice to have. I think the final takeaway from the ledger is the future for our old pal, the Mediterranean. This was only his seventh race and he too has mixed it at group class level this season. Again, he's only ever won a maiden two, but the 14 furlongs at Doncaster seem to bring about further improvement and it doesn't take a leap in the imagination of Greg Rutherford proportions to see him developing into a cup horse for Aidan O'Brien next season following another winter of strengthening up. After all, Stradivarius can't go on forever, and whilst it will be ludicrous to say the Mediterranean could emulate the achievements of the magnificent Yates for the O'Brien Yard in the Stain Division, my bet is that's where his shrewd connections are envisioning him plying his trade next season. Elsewhere, the good times just kept a rolling last weekend. St Mark's Basilica made a fair stab at now being regarded as the best horse in the world after taking the Irish Champion Stakes at the Curra, a highlight in what has been a particularly thin few weeks for Aidan O'Brien. The second horse home in the race, Tarnoa, was far from disgraced over this 10 furlong trip, running an excellent prep for the Arc de Triomphe over two furlongs farther in Paris in a couple of weeks' time. She now heads the market for that race with several bookies. Her trainer Dermot Weld said beforehand there was still room for improvement in Tanawa, win, lose or draw last Saturday, so you can expect him to have her at concert pitch for the Arc in three weeks' time. 
Now, I suppose, strictly speaking, a podcast with the strapline helping you get the most out of UK and Irish horse racing shouldn't really be concerning ourselves with a race in France, no matter how prestigious it is. But come on, it's the biggest flat race and therefore the biggest race of the year in Europe. So we're virtually obliged to have a look at the race and try and give some fresh insights into it. I and there's the rub. In these podcasts, I want to give you new angles on a race rather than just simply spout platitudes you can read and hear about in loads of other outlets. None of you are dumb. You can smell inauthenticity a mile off. And if I'm just rehashing other people's views and insights, you have every right to switch off and call me out on it. So on that score then, let's leave the ark alone for now until I've got something that will really rock your world mightily about the race, he said, hopefully couple of bits of housekeeping before we put this episode to bed then. Firstly, the rap has been recognised by the podcast review website feedspot.com as being one of the top 15 horse racing podcasts, so thanks very much to them for that. Personally, I think we've got to find several stones worth of improvement to get up there with the daddies like the Nick Luck Daily podcast and the Final Furlong podcast, but nonetheless, we're in and we're having a swing. Secondly, it's been a long time coming, but whisper it to yourselves. I hope to have the RAP website, which is www.rap.chat, up and functioning in the next week. I hope that'll be a regular point of contact for listeners and another way in which we can interact. And finally, Cyril, and finally, Esther, please do try and get to a stable that's opening its doors up in what's left of National Racehorse Week. For details of what's open when, head on over to www.nationalracehorseweek. Certainly Newmarket are throwing their yards open this weekend, so if you're at a loose end and live anywhere in East Anglia, you know what to do. Oh, and take along anyone who might be in any way ambivalent about horse racing, and let's see if we can turn them on to this magnificent sport of ours. Okay, that's it for this podcast. As always, a huge thanks for showing up and investing your time in listening. It does mean a lot to me. I hope it's been interesting, and I will see you again soon. But for now, that's a wrap.